Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a founder, obviously a very interesting founder because he's from Europe and I'm a little bit biased because I'm also from Europe myself. But it's definitely, you know, a different, you know, market, you know, different way of of, of adapting, you know, to to the to the global, you know, side of things, you know, different than the way perhaps, you know, founders in the US or investors in the US see things. But it's really nice, you know, when it comes you know, blending together. And I see those startups from Europe, you know, making it happen globally. So I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit there. Uh, and then also how, you know, this started, you know, out of uh, having multiple discussions with roommates and how things, you know, started evolving and transforming. And, and I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit today, especially as well when it comes to raising capital. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Marnix Brewer. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you. So originally born in a small town there in, in Amsterdam. So tell us about life growing up. Yeah, I must say it was uh, pretty nice there. I had a lot of uh, nature around me, some water. I could uh, spend time uh, in a boat. Everything was close by, including the big city, Amsterdam. So uh, it was a good life. And obviously being born there as well in a, in a busy and crowded family. Is that right? Yes. I'm the youngest of uh, four kids. And um, so uh, I've been uh, yeah, having many uh, fights, but also fun times with my uh, brothers and sisters. And also very much an entrepreneur because uh, you were at a young age already thinking about ways to monetize and make money and everything, you know, like from, 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 from grabbing nails out of wood to like soap. I mean, you kind of like had it in you. Yeah, that's, that's things you think about later. Of course, that back then you didn't realize, but um when I hear the stories from my parents now, uh, indeed, uh, I was selling uh, old rusty nails, which I bended backwards to make them straight and then sold them to the neighbors. Uh, but I also learned my hard lessons. Uh, I remember cleaning uh, the cage of the rabbit of my sister. And uh, after a while, uh, well, she kept paying me for it at the first year or something. And then uh, she convinced me to own the rabbit. Uh, so I thought, that's nice. Let's own the rabbit. But from that moment on, whenever I cleaned the cage, it was my rabbit. So I didn't get paid anymore. So you also learn uh, the hard lessons when you're young. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So so why engineering out of all things? What really got you into that you know, problem solving you know, type of mentality? Yeah, these things kept exciting me um, from quite young 
onwards, I like to build stuff from small boats to uh, disco lights. Uh, but also, I must say that the shows on Discovery Channel, especially in the past, nowadays it's way too much uh, marketing and, and blah, blah. Uh, but back then, you had really nice uh, shows on Discovery Channel, and that made me convinced uh, to also study uh, in this field. So while you were in, in school, you know, with your roommates, I mean, definitely there were a bunch of conversations that really changed the course of everything. So what were those conversations? Yeah, indeed. So when we were studying, I uh, lived in a, a quite a large student home. We were there with 13 guys. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun, of course. You had to study, but also uh, a lot of uh, partying and, and making fun. Uh, but uh, we missed something and uh, that made us decide to say, you know what, uh, why don't we start something, whether it's a company or a project, who knows, uh, but at least give it a try. But then, of course, you need an ID and that one is pretty tricky. Uh, so uh, the plan came together where we said, what if we would pitch an ID every day to each other? Can be very small, can be very lame, doesn't matter. You have to pitch something. And then after a month or so, We'll decide on what is the best idea and let's give it a shot. But after two weeks, uh, my friend and roommate actually gave a, a, a very nice idea. Um, and that idea is the current company eventually. But uh, when, when he told me that, I was like, okay, let's stop thinking about new ideas. Let's stop pitching because this is the one. This is what we're missing. And we feel the pain every day while studying. So uh, why not solve this pain and, uh, and make a company out of this? So then what happened next? Yeah, even the same night, uh, we started uh, drawing how it would look like. And uh, in, in fact, uh, yeah, the, the only thing he said was an online place, let's say, where you can drop your notes and other students can start using those notes. And uh, that was indeed exactly the pain we had and we experienced every exam season. And that you had to gather for a couple of days from all your friends, roommates, people you know, people you studied with. Do you have some notes? Uh, did you go to this lecture? Uh, do you have a summary of this book? All those things, uh, yeah, you had to gather, cost the time, but and sometimes information was also lost. So we thought, why not? Is why isn't it possible to go online, go to that one course you're going to study this this exam season, and see what everybody has made available already to study with? Yeah, that's also how we started drawing it. So it was very simple. We said, okay, it should look like sort of your folder on your computer. Simply choose your study field, simply choose the course you're taking this, uh, this semester. And then once you click it, you can see an entire overview of all the documents uh, which other students have already shared. Um, so we made this light design, uh, drew it on the kitchen table, uh, but then you have to develop it, of course. And uh, that was tricky for us because uh, both Jacques and I had no idea how to code. Uh, and we also thought we can't really learn this uh, quickly. So uh, let's, uh, let's get uh, help from outside. And then luckily, um, a friend of mine uh, who I know since I'm uh, around two years old, really long ago, always made websites uh, more of a side job. Um, so we asked him, like, could you make a website for us? And it, should it has to look like this. And I said, yeah, I can do that. Uh, no problem. Yeah, uh, that's where it continues. He built a website. At least we thought he built it. but actually. He sort of outsourced it also to a roommate of his, uh, which together built uh, the first version of the website. And when we started asking for a next version uh, to improve the, the page, um, he uh, then admitted that he's actually not the only one coding, uh, but also his friend and roommate was also coding. And that made us decide, so, okay, you know what? Um, 
let's stop paying these friendly prices. Uh, let's uh, go together and, and make this one company. So uh, we're four founders uh, going from here. And that worked out uh, really well for us. So then what? Because obviously one thing led to the next and then also to um to a rebrand to us, the way that you guys were, you know, naming the company. So, so talk to us about that. Yeah, indeed. So, because at first we only thought of a small project at our own university, we chose a Dutch name and uh, I can, I can tell here the name, but I guess many can't repeat it, but it's uh, Studiersnel, which, which actually means study fast, um, but then in Dutch and uh, yeah, this name, especially with the dot and L it rhymes. So it was a nice catch and to keep uh, people reminded uh, uh, when, they, when they study. Um, so it worked also nicely because within weeks in our university, uh, many students started using the platform uh, simply because we had the platform online and we dropped all the notes we have gathered in the last four years online. So there was a lot of material which uh, students can use from day one. Um, and just within weeks, uh, people in other cities also uh, started asking, uh, uh, like, could you build this platform for us as well? Because it's super useful. I said, yeah, no problem. But uh, yeah, we need some set of nodes to get it kickstarted. So if you if you can share all the nodes you have gathered in the past with us, then uh, we'll make that page, we'll upload it, and, and we can start uh, spreading the word in your uh, university as well. Um, and then we kept doing in the Netherlands, actually, because we saw more and more uh, students using it. We knew that this was something bigger than just a small project. Um, and that made us decide to start scaling it throughout the Netherlands. Um, however, yeah, the Netherlands is not that big, uh, and also the number of universities is not that uh, many. So uh, it meant that, yeah, after a while, although doing it part time, quite quite soon we realized we have to go cross border because, um, yeah, there's not enough university anymore to go to. Um, yeah, but then yeah, you picked out the, the Dutch name which, uh, yeah, no one in, in Germany, Italy or Spain, for example, can pronounce. So, uh, yeah, we had to pick a, a different name for that. And that's how we came up with Sudakium, which, uh, in fact, is also uh, yeah, just an abbreviation of study documents. And I remember two of my founders founding the name, uh, finding the name very lame. But we said, OK, you know what? We think this is the best name. There's, there's almost no URLs available anymore in the world. So. Uh, if you come up with a better name in three months, uh, then then we'll take that one. But otherwise, we we'll go for this one. And, uh, in the end, it was uh, it remains to duck. And and what is for the people that are listening and watching? I mean, what ended up being the business model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, at first we did it, especially in the first years in the Netherlands. Uh, we grew very fast, of course, but we had a free product, and uh, it's it's rather easy to sell free ice creams. I think uh, so. Uh, yeah, no in a way, you would say, of course, it will grow fast because you're not charging anything. So we weren't. I mean, in a way, you would say you have a great product market fit. The numbers go up really well. On the other hand. As long as people are not willing to pay for it, you, you can't be sure that, uh, that people still really like it. Uh, but for us, the, the, the reason why we implemented the business model was actually that our graduation was near because we founded it uh, during our study. So we had to choose, do we want to continue with this uh, company? Uh, but then uh, if so, we need to make money because we don't have a career then and we need to uh, pay our rent and, and, and be able to buy food. Or uh, we stop the project and we go for a career within a company uh, who is already from someone else. Uh, of course, we liked our own company much better. So we said, okay, let's at least give it a try to, to make a business model uh, um, here. 
And so what we decided, because we were a bit afraid at first, we decided to uh, not uh, lock all the documents uh, behind a paywall. But what we said is, you know what, we're going to lock 20% of the documents behind a paywall. And to make it even better, if people want to upload instead of pay, that's also fine. So you can also grant yourself access by uploading your own resources. And um, that was actually a golden idea, which we didn't uh, knew back then. We also didn't know yet what A-B testing was. So uh, we just implemented it and see how it went. Um, but actually within seconds, people started paying for the service. But uh, even better, uh, that's what we found out later, is that a lot of uh, students started uploading their resources. And that for us meant tremendous growth because from that moment on, the, the, the inbound of new documents was so much faster and so much higher than we ever seen before that suddenly we added so much value every day to the platform that um, our company started growing much and much faster. More and more students knew about us and started finding us on Google. Um, and in that sense, uh, yeah, we made the best decision ever. But it was a tricky one because uh, nowadays we would never do anything without uh, properly A-B testing. So, so tell us about raising money too. I mean, how, how much capital have you guys raised to date? In euros, let's say around 46 million. 46 million in euros, which probably is, I don't know, the conversion rate right now, but uh, yeah. definitely definitely over, let's say, $50 million, uh, no? Yeah, so let, let's, talk about, let's talk about like what that process has been for you guys to raise that money and what have been the expectations, because obviously raising, you know, in Europe is, is not the same as raising in the U.S. There's different mindsets, different approaches from investors too, and also perspective from the founder too. So how, how has it been the fundraising journey for you guys in raising that money? I, I always find fundraising quite nice because I'm, I'm not too afraid to sit with strangers, let's say, so the investors and then tell the story and, and, and convince them that it's a great uh, business. Uh, but it is time consuming, of course. Uh, but indeed, like you said, in Europe, raising is, is definitely different versus the U.S., um, and I think especially on the part that you should really show product market fit uh, before raising cash. And, and you might be able to do the trick of raising money before product market fit, but that will, that will cost you uh, a lot of your uh, shares. So um, I would not recommend that. And uh, what I would re always recommend uh, when raising the first round, I would say, whether it's a university, whether it's a city or whether it's a neighborhood, try to find a, a, a definable uh, location and audience and say, okay, we managed to convince these people to start using product. They like it. And we're now scaling it to more neighborhoods or more cities. And uh, in that way, you've made proof in one small area, but that shows to an investor like, okay, these guys perhaps are not making loads of profits yet. However, they did prove that at, a, at this neighborhood or this audience level, uh, they have product market fit. So why not uh, expand this and scale this to many more places? And we did sort of a similar thing uh, because we had, we had universities to prove this. And for us, though, we had the universities in the Netherlands, but for us, it was really important to show to the investors that also universities abroad uh, would be able to uh, scale it to. And uh, that's also what we did before raising. So we tested a few universities in Belgium, uh, which is just below the Netherlands, and, and they speak the same language there, so it was easy to go cross-border. But we said also, let's challenge ourselves and let's also pick a few universities in Spain, uh, 
to see whether we can manage to launch a business in an area uh, with a language we don't speak. Um, and we also said to ourselves, okay, we're now based in Amsterdam. Uh, what about launching a university in Melbourne? Would it be possible to get students using the product there as well? And that's just to prove that you don't have to physically go to that university and get the business started. And for us, uh, luckily that worked. And that was for, not, for us enough proof case to get to the investors and say, okay, this is really promising. Yeah, you now have the opportunity to invest. And, and luckily uh, that made us, um, yeah, we created quite some FOMO here in Amsterdam because there's not that many, uh, many investors here, I would say uh, 15 to 20 perhaps. And uh, luckily a few were interested in investing it, to invest. And how does that FOMO, I mean, fear of missing out, you know, believe it or not, I, the guy that invented the word, that coined the word, Patrick McGuinness, is a, is a good friend. So what a word, yeah. Yeah, fear of missing out. So, so fear of missing out there, FOMO, you know, like how do you really, I mean, what, what has been your experience of generating that FOMO? I mean, what, how does that work? I think it works uh, simply by showing that you're really confident. Uh, so at the moment you speak with investors, uh, you have to give them the feeling uh, that you don't need the investor. Um, that if they, if they say no, fine, you have someone else lined up. Um, so no worries. And um, that, of course, is much easier if you have, in fact, more investors interested. Uh, but it does mean that you have to start talking to a couple of investors hopefully convey the story well and uh, in that sense uh, get some people interested and that also means that the next conversation you do with any investor of any of the investors you can sit there with much more confidence knowing that there's more people interested and and they will read that from your uh, eyes and how you move and how you speak and uh, that you're not i don't know uh, a bit nervous or your, your voice is going up and down i don't know they, they will feel like okay uh, these guys are in a great position and we're not the only ones who want them. So we have to act quick. We have to offer them something nice. And if you're a really good actor, let's say, then you can manage to do this without having more investors. But uh, luckily, we were in a position to also, in fact, have, have multiple uh, investors interested. And in your guys' case, one of, one of the co-founders left. So, I mean, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, uh, well, he left. He left after uh, quite some years, I must say. Yeah, it's a position you you let's say at the beginning definitely you don't want to be in simply because um, you're feeling like oh shit, one of us is leaving, um, and uh, what will happen? Uh, what will the team think? Uh, what kind of gap will this person leave behind uh, to fill again? And can we actually find a replacement, a good replacement for this founder? Um, so that was uh, kind of tricky and. I'm, I'm glad that uh, in our case, um, the, the founder, the co-founder who left was, was mainly responsible for um, finding tweaks in the growth model. Um, and luckily, we were at a stage where we were scaling rapidly. So tweaking the growth model wasn't that important anymore at that moment. It was more about scaling it to more and more universities over the whole world. So uh, that made that the gap he left behind felt manageable to to capture with a new role but even now uh yeah we definitely miss him and uh, would have been nice to uh, stay together for sure i hear you i hear you no kidding so so let me ask you this imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of the company is fully realized you know you wake up and you're like wow you know this is what what i would have hoped you know for you know all this journey all along you know what does that world look like? 
yeah, that would be a world, and and that's that's a bit together with the mission, but also just my my pride of reaching the goals, and that would be that like the majority of the whole student uh, audience would be using Sudoku. They know it, uh, they use it. Um, they where I now wake up and think about what what it will look like. They will wake up and start using Sudoku. Uh, they go to the library of the university, open Sudoku, and, and we can help them on multiple fronts. Uh, because right now we're really good in providing them great notes and, and having the sharing platform. But we want to do much more on collaborations and we want to be much more adding, let's say, adjacent businesses to it. So to help them even more than just with studying. Uh, because students also have to prepare for their jobs. They need jobs during their studies um, they need housing. There are so many things students are actually uh, in need of help. Um, and uh, yeah, in five years, uh, Sudaki will capture all those things. Nice. So, so give us a, a sense for the size of Sudoku today. I mean, how many employees do you guys have and any other numbers that, that you could share to kind of like get an idea of what's the scope and the size of the operation today? Yeah, we, we managed to keep the team quite small. We, we love uh, automating. So whenever we see something which can be automated, we do it. Uh, means that right now, uh, I think we're close to 70 people. And that's mainly also because in the last three months, we've hired uh, a lot of uh, people since our last investment round. Um, currently, we're helping uh, more than 15 million students uh, every month. And uh, yeah, the whole student population in the world, let's say, is a bit more than 200 million. So uh, we have a, way, a long way to go in that sense. Uh, but I'm really glad that we can already make such an impact. That's amazing. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of students. So, so imagine I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. Because obviously it's been you know, quite a journey no? with, with the company. I mean, you guys have been at it for what? For like 10, 11 years, Monix? Uh, yeah. yeah. For 10, 11 years. I mean, obviously full of, of ups and downs. And imagine, you know, I bring you back to a point where you are able to put yourself now, you know, with all this wealth of knowledge that you've accumulated, like smack right there on that room where you're speaking, you know, with your roommates, you know, uh, 11 or 12 years ago, you know, potential ideas and what to bring to the world. Imagine you're able to sit down with all of you right there with all of the younger selves, your younger self right there, and, and you can give everyone one piece of advice before launching a company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Can it be two things? <laughs> Go for <laughs> it. Go for it. Now, first one, uh, which is, I think, by far the most important one, is um, get your data straight. So uh, what we've learned uh, over time, and I think a bit too late, but still in time, of course, is rely on data. And uh, what we had a lot is we were with four founders, means that there's a lot of discussions going on, which is good. You make good decisions because of that, because you have to convince a lot of people. However, if we would have measured our data properly from the day one, we would have been able to make decisions based on data, which are simply the truth and the facts much quicker. And it would also mean less discussions, faster pace, faster development. Um, and I think only after four years, we implemented a full data uh, warehouse and, and, and A-B testing. And that's when really took off because from that moment on, we could test all our hunches and suddenly only pick the right IDs uh, because you've tested it. And, and, and you see, I mean, now, even now, sometimes we do an A-B test and suddenly your, your revenues go up with 15%. And you're like, wow, if we would have tested this uh, six months ago or 
two years ago, it would have been so nice. So definitely get your data straight uh, much quicker. Um, and the second would be, but that's that's more of a joke, of course. But it, knowing where we are right now, uh, we should have not uh, finished our studies and uh, uh, work part-time during our studies, but actually go for it, go full-time on your company. But yeah, that's how things go. There's always things that after uh, you, you realize that you, you, you would say, okay, if I knew this back then, of course, you, you would have made a different decision. But data for sure, data, data, data. Yeah, no, and I'm right there with you because a lot of people are like, hey, you know, I think that this school is build it. And um, then, you know, you, you enter the market, you've worked so hard at building whatever you want to build, and then all of a sudden nobody wants to use whatever the hell you've built. So yeah. nothing yeah. like being able to build something, put it in minimum, you know, bare bones, start to listen to your customers, and, and then, you know, you build it from there. So I think that, you know, what you're you alluding to is, is something really interesting that I think it's very much applicable to everything, and that is listening, you know, and that is listening to your customers, listening also to your investors to really understand the concerns that are in between you and the money, as well as listening for the potential uh, concerns that maybe your your employees have so that they are able to, you know, uh, see and live into a compelling future that is going to help you to retain them in the business. I fully agree. I, I, I can't change the word. It's a spot on. Yeah, so data, data, got to respect the data, Marnik. So for the people that are listening right now and watching, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, I mean, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, but uh, also feel free to reach out to the platform um, and, and go uh, for the customer support if you want. Uh, but if you want to reach out to me, please uh, hook me up on LinkedIn. Amazing. Well, Marnik, thank you so, so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you very much as well. Nice to share my story. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.